This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Entertainment, music, pop culture, LGBT plus news. Let's go there. Starts now. Happy Friday. This is uh, Shira and Ryan's here too. And this is Let's Go There where we catch you up on the news of the day, pop culture, and so much more with fun music in between right here on Channel Q. Wow. Can I tell you a crazy story that oh, happened to me last God, night? Yes. So I went to the world famous Abbey. You did? Last night. Yes, I wow, did. Wow, was it busy? Um, somewhat. It was to celebrate uh, Vincent, uh, who's an amazing artist. He's a black queer pop star, darling. And he just released his debut album that in the first hour and a half reached a million streams. What? Over a million streams. No way. Uh, when he released it. Um, but I had a situation at the Abbey that was so weird with a guy that was there. He was like a guy that was attending the party. Uh-huh. He wanted to touch my hair. Is he a white guy? Yes, he was. No, really. He wanted to touch my hair, and Did- he then wanted to go into an in-depth conversation about what cultural appropriation was. Okay. It was, like, intense. It was, like, really intense, because he was he wants to be able to do, like, braids and stuff with his hair, and he didn't understand why he couldn't, because at one point he had been called out about it, and um, he wanted to, like, he literally tried, like, re- I saw him reach for my hair, and I had to, like, grab his <laughs> because I was just like, no, please, you know, I'm just, I'm just not, like, you know, I don't like it when people are touching me, but. But, you know, I I feel like I always have moments at that place specifically where things are like always happen Hmm. where I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to stay inside from now on. Well, you mix in uh, <laughs> drinks with also. He was, he was, I got to give it to him. He was a little tips. I could yeah. tell, I could tell he was tipsy, but still awkward. It is. And I, I do feel bad for people that are just learning this. I mean, I feel like I only learned it two years ago or so where I just I don't I never really touched anyone's hair. But then specifically, there was someone that had an incredible um, hair and I was like referencing it. And he thought it was so tr- I actually wasn't going to touch it. But he even the reference, it was such a trigger because of what people do who don't get it and mm-hmm, don't know about it, specifically mm-hmm, white people. Mm-hmm. So listen, these are these are unfortunately conversations that need to still be had. Um, and people are at different parts of the journey as I like to tell if they're even on the journey to be honest but yeah I just keep thinking about that because I'm just like oh my god I never go out to West Hollywood even though it was a great time it was a fun fun time okay um I was uh, I got a little tips tops and um yeah I'm happy I was tips tops because that would have irritated me even more if I was sober well lessons learned (laughs) 
Okay. But Paula Abdul was there, actually. Really? Yeah. She's great. I would have actually... Did you say hi to her? Was she in a vicinity no, to say she hi was, to No, well, she was right next to us, actually. So, you know, I wish I was there because she was great, good friends with a friend of mine who passed. And oh, I would have I would have loved to hug her. Yeah. All right. But then you would have started crying in the club. Probably. Like I a probably would have. song and yep. it would have been embarrassing. Totally. And like, security, please escort <laughs> you Probably. Okay. Well, uh, coming up on the show, everything you need to know about the G7 Summit, we want to make you smart. So, you know, as you're having parties and places to go, you're talking about, you know, I- I- important things, not just people's hair. Right. <laughs> That's cultural, important. Things and cultural too. appropriation. That's yes, important. You should be talking about that too. Make sure it's consensual with the other person. <laughs> uh, and how to deal with workplace harassment while working remote. That's at 325 p.m. Pacific, 625 p.m. Eastern. Right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Darnella Frazier, the teenager who recorded George Floyd's murder in Minneapolis last year, received a Pulitzer Prize special citation today for her work capturing the video that launched a nationwide reckoning on racial issues and policing in America. The Floyd story in particular highlighted not only the essential role of journalists, but the increasing importance of ordinary citizens in the quest for truth and justice. We want to note that the board has awarded a special citation to Darnella Frazier, the teenage witness who filmed and posted the transformative video that jolted viewers and spurred protests against police brutality around the world. So this could have been a four minute because it's just like we have a lot to say about this, but this is just a headline. I mean, it still can be a four minute. Yeah, let's continue talking about that because it's weird. later in the show. It's I agree. Weird. Uh, hundreds of people gathered on the sands of Long Beach, California, as the city unveiled its new Pride Lifeguard Tower yesterday evening. The rainbow-colored tower replaced a similarly painted tower that was destroyed by an arson fire last March. I remember when we reported about this. Thankfully, they have a new one. And Mayor Robert Garcia, the city's first out mayor, said it was a pivotal event and shows the importance of communities. So go check out that rainbow-colored tower in Long Beach and take some Instagram pictures. That was What's Trending This Hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so quickly, uh, Margaret Cho is opening up about her LGBTQ plus identity as she celebrates her 42nd Pride. It's time for the T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. So, you know, as she's been celebrating, obviously, her identity for decades, it doesn't necessarily mean that she has it all figured out. Um, she says, being an Asian American, being a feminist, being queer, these things are the way that I I uh, defined myself. But also, I've been caused so much pain by all of these separate identities for different reasons. Here is a, a small clip of what she had to say. Well, this year would mark my 42nd gay pride. I think since 1978, I've been going so like that something like that but it's really incredible to uh be able to witness all of um the way that we have emerged as a strong and visible community and all the way that we've changed in that in that process and um being an asian american being a feminist being queer these things are the way that i define myself but also i have been caused so much pain by all these separate identities for different reasons. And so I want people to be able to feel like they're being seen, they're being heard and reflected back in the work that I do. And so it's very important for me to talk about all of my experiences with a sense of humor, with a sense of... 
So I love that. I love Margaret Cho, and I love that she's being so candid about everything. If you want to find out more about her, what she had to say, head over to WeAreTurtleQ.com because, honey, I am done spilling until next hour. Oh, my God. I can't believe 42 years of pride. It's wild. Coming up, world leaders are coming together for the G7 summit. What is actually happening and why you should care? That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. The G7 Summit is being hosted in the UK right now, bringing together world leaders, seven of them. That's why it's called the G7 Summit. And joining us right now is Ryan Heath, senior editor at Politico, to give us the scoop on what we need to know. Welcome back. So good to be here. Yes, love your enthusiasm. So (laughs) what happens at the G7 Summit exactly for those who might not know about it? It's more a question of what doesn't happen. There is endless gift giving. There are dinners. There are working groups where, you know, imagine you're going to your work retreat every year and you have to go into small groups with the people you don't like in the office and solve problems. Well, that's what they're doing, basically. (laughs) And there's a lot of problems right now out there in the world. So it starts with making sure some vaccines get to poorer countries. It goes on to China tomorrow. And then they're going to be working on climate change on Sunday. There's just a really huge basket of issues and not always good answers to those problems. Yeah, I remember last, uh, I guess the last administration's uh G summit, a G seven summit, because Don, no one liked Donald Trump. So I'm wondering how different is it? Is, do you think the the vibes are better? Like people are more receptive to talking to Joe Biden and and actually make, having some productive conversations. One hundred and ten percent, they are more receptive to Joe Biden. It doesn't mean they agree on everything. There are there is a long list of minor problems, let's say, uh, and they don't all agree on how to deal with China, the EU. Uh, feels a little bit more stuck and less unable to stand up to China than the U.S. But compared to Donald Trump, where he would tear up the communique, the, you know, the statement they would make at the end of the summit, or last year, the U.S. was due to host the summit. They just didn't do one. Uh, so it's a much better vibe now that they can actually get around the table. And, and Joe Biden knows most of these people as well. So he's got relationships that he brings into the summit. Yeah, it's interesting because years ago, the seven uh, countries represented 70% of the world's economy, now only 40%. So how relevant is this going to be moving forward? Yeah, so it's still very relevant because 40% is 40%. But the West, this collection of rich countries, in some ways it represents the past, not the future. And that's what they have to grapple with. They need to use China as a bit of a motivating factor to get more organized as a group. And if they can be more organized, then 40% counts for more. But if they're disorganized and they just spend the whole time fighting, 40% doesn't count for much. And they probably have to think of ways to grow the group. So they've invited India, South Africa, Australia, South Korea. I think they might be turning this into the G10 or the G11 sometime soon. And then then they'll be able to say, oh, we're back up to 50, we're back up to 60%. Are most of these conversations like COVID-related? Uh, COVID runs through everything. It's impossible to escape because at the end of the day, a lot of economies have been devastated. There are new, deeper inequalities because of COVID. And every leader has to deal with that. Even the ones who would say they were right-wing leaders, they still have to deal with those inequality problems. And it brings a new type of discussion to the table. They wouldn't have been talking about huge budget deficits, trillion-dollar stimulus packages. That wasn't the discussion five or 10 years ago. And now, whether you're left or right, you have to have that discussion or you face that your government and your society could collapse. So do they leave this with new policies that they want to focus on or ways to negotiate 
things moving forward? Like, what is the goal coming out of this? Yeah, so for Joe Biden, one of the goals is just to get everyone on the same page and then work out the details later. Uh, A lot of countries use the summit as a chance to announce things they wanted to announce anyway that they're just going to do for their own country. So a lot of that does get announced at this summit. And Joe Biden did that with saying he would finally donate 500 million vaccines to uh, other countries around the world. And then they do do some joint work. So they're going to do things like come up with a new system to try and pinpoint pandemics before they emerge or as they emerge instead of everyone freaking out a month or two after it finally happens. Uh, And then they're going to obviously have to do a lot more coordination uh, when it comes to these stimulus packages, because if half the world doesn't and the other half doesn't, then everyone's going to think. Interesting. Do you think cryptocurrency is going to be looked at also in terms of like how we look at money? I don't think they even know what cryptocurrency is. (laughs) You know, I would want, I would, I have enough problems with it. So, you know, I wouldn't want to put it on the plate of five, 70 year olds. Um, so, you know, my, that's my honest answer is they're not going to talk about it, but they probably should be. And they'll tell their finance ministers to do it. And, and what do you think China feels about this? They're all just talking about oh, they China. Hate it. They hate it. <laughs> this is exactly what China doesn't want. And, and that's the thing. Like if Joe Biden can get everyone to make some compromises, uh, come up with a plan for standing up to China when they bully smaller countries like Australia uh, by refusing to accept their products and their services. Then, then that does worry China because China needs to keep growing or it will face social unrest. Um, China will have to eventually go along with higher environmental standards if the rest of the world decides to do them. So it does matter that, that these discussions happen. And, and China probably isn't worried yet. But if they do come up with a strong statement on China, then, then people will start to be thinking very hard in Beijing about what to do. Yeah, so why not include them in these conversations, not just talk about them? Well, they are in the group of 20, so there's another format, the G20. And okay. this one is, I guess you would call it a bit like the, the, the pre-game for the G20, where the democracies can decide what they want to take to the G20. Got so it's it. not that China isn't in the discussion, they're just not in this discussion. All right. Well, that was Ryan Heath, Senior Editor at Politico. Thanks for breaking that down for us. You're welcome. Now coming up, how Democrats are hoping to change the Justice Department in order to fight back against GOP-backed voting restrictions and more. That's next with The Washington Post. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. There are many things that are open to debate in America, but the right of all eligible citizens to vote is not one of them. 
That was Attorney General Merrick Garland, who pledged today to double the size of the Justice Department's voting rights enforcement staff in order to fight efforts to restrict voting and prosecute those who threaten or harm election workers. National political reporter Amy Gardner from The Washington Post joins us right now. Thank you for being here. Glad to be here. Thanks. So is this typical to do this? Like, how do you actually double the size of the Justice Department's voting rights enforcement staff? How does that work? Well, so it's it's currently only a little bit more than a dozen lawyers, trial attorneys who who litigate on behalf of voting rights for the uh, voting section within the Civil Rights Division of the Justice Department. So you're talking about hiring another dozen attorneys. I mean, that's a lot of firepower, but we're not talking about hundreds and hundreds of lawyers. Uh, But it is still a big deal, and the sweep and sort of historic references that were uh, peppered throughout Attorney General Garland's remarks today uh, to me, signal a, a really big commitment, a historic commitment. He he made very clear that he wants to compare the effort that he's uh, putting underway inside the Justice Department to historic efforts to protect uh, voting rights in America, including you know the Fourteenth Amendment giving blacks the right to vote, the Nineteenth Amendment giving women the right right to vote, uh, the seminal. 1965 Voting Rights Act, uh, and and he put it in that context, and he referenced Robert F. Kennedy, the former Attorney General under John F. Kennedy, and this appears to be one of the biggest public sort of commitments to protecting voting rights since the days of RFK. Yeah, because it, it seemed like he also quoted um, the late civil rights icon in Georgia, Congressman John Lewis. What did he say in terms of what was he quoting from him? That's right. Uh, he quoted uh, uh, the late John Lewis, after whom pending civil uh, voting rights legislation is named right now. And the quote was, democracy is not a state. It is an act. Mm. And each generation must do its part to act in this area. So, you know, the, the point being, you can't be complacent. And our democracy uh, doesn't survive without care and feeding. Uh, And that care and feeding right now, in uh, A.G. Garland's view, is taking the form of this extra effort to protect voting rights. And it's not just, by the way, those trial attorneys that staff that will be expanded. He's also um, stepping up in uh, prosecution, he says, of violations of federal law. So uh, he has pledged that uh, the Justice Department's National Security and Criminal Divisions, as well as its 93 U.S. attorneys stationed around the country in every state in America, as well as the Federal Bureau of Investigation, will be part of this effort to, quote, investigate and promptly prosecute any violations of federal law. So is this the last option, knowing that they're going to have trouble passing this updated the voting rights bill through the Senate? Is this plan B? It's definitely a reflection of the difficulty they face passing voting rights legislation through this Congress. On the other hand, as he said in his speech today, um, RFK back in the early 60s when JFK was president uh, and before the 1965 Voting Rights Act was passed did not have the tools that they're trying to uh, pass through Congress right now. Those tools, which were embedded in this Voting Rights Act, 
require uh, certain jurisdictions with a history of racial discrimination to get pre-clearance from the Justice Department to change any voting laws or practices in their states or jurisdictions. And that pre-clearance provision was struck down by the Supreme Court in 2013. That's what they're trying to add back right now in Congress. So what Garland is saying is, look, RFK committed to protecting voting rights without preclearance. He did it by sending out an army of lawyers to, you know, take on county and state one jurisdiction at a time. And that's what we're going to do, too. So moving forward, as we're wrapping this up, what should our listeners be looking out for? What What's important for us to really know? I think you're going to see a couple things. I think you're going to see more lawsuits. Uh, uh, when uh, the Justice Department believes that of uh, voting leg- legislation um, or, for instance, redistricting, which is coming at the end of this year with new census data, when they believe that those policies violate uh, the Voting Rights Act or specifically discriminate against voters of color, they're going to sue. They're also going to be watching closely as more and more uh uh, folks who believe that it, without evidence that the election was stolen last year, prompted, you know, egged on by former President Trump's rhetoric, uh, they're, they're going to scrutinize these uh, these audits and post-election reviews that are being demanded around the country. And they're going to uh, be very forceful about reminding those who want to do these audits of what the federal law is, that it's against the law to intimidate voters. Uh, it's against the law to destroy or uh, harm ballots. Ballots have to be saved Mm -hmm. for something like 21 months after an election. So you're going to see more vocal, uh, apparent, visible enforcement of those federal laws, I believe. Okay. Well, that was national political reporter from The Washington Post, Amy Gardner. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Coming up, Fox News is warning about human-animal mutants. This definitely makes our most weird story of the day. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, let's move on to Fox <laughs> News. They really did it with this next story. They they talk about some crazy stuff, but this is next level. So out Fox Nation host and Fox News primetime contributor Tammy Bruce is sounding the alarm about human chimera, <laughs> C-H-I-M-E-R-A, mutants, if you want to Google that. It's a thing. And she says that Democrats aren't doing enough to stop it. Blaming the Democrats again. This is a moment from her report. Human chimeras living among us. It's only science fiction for right now. (laughs) Yesterday, the Senate passed the Endless Frontier Act, a bill that commits nearly $250 billion to promote emerging technologies so that America can keep pace with Chinese innovation. Back in May, Democrats shot down an important amendment outlawing U.S. participation in research that would create human-animal hybrids, also known as chimeras. China's already doing it announcing in April that an international team successfully grew human monkey embryos. Chimera is such a weird word. Like, what? it just makes it even weirder. The idea of a human-animal mutant thing is weird enough, but then add the word chimera, and it just, you know, so... Well, I'm not going to judge a human animal mutant or whatever you want to call it. Even a mutant sounds like so harsh. Well, the thing is, this is out of context, Ryan. Okay, what are they really talking about then? She's referencing this $247 billion bill passed by the Senate earlier this week that includes funding for scientific research. And what she's referencing 
is um, it's what they create. They put together to produce possible body parts or tissues. And they're, they're, it's not just it's not mutants who live among us. These are actual things that could help other people who uh, who need this instead of maybe getting it from a, a donor. Right. And so whether you think it's ethical is a whole other story. I mean, a lot of people aren't into it, but it's the only way that we can innovate and do this in the scientific field, unfortunately. Wow, we have Bill Nye the Science Guy here joining us live in person. Although they did say that they're going to be making meat out of uh, not not something human or animal. So why can't they do that with tissue? Okay, I kind of don't care about this. I think the real interesting thing is watching news outlets like literally grasp for straws to kind of have some sort of scare tactic to, to scare their viewers, right? I think on both sides we see it. We see it on CNN where they're literally doing a daily count on how many mass shootings there are per day. We're seeing it on Fox News doing it in this way, you know, having those people, you know, afraid that they're going to be turned into a half zebra one day. <laughs> and so for me, it's just, it, it, it just is really interesting to see how the media is um, trying to have some form of entertainment in their reporting um, that feels kind of like fear tactic and also just like, what else are they going to talk about? Because it's not like Joe Biden's administration is doing right. much. Like they're not, they're not like, you know, controversial and really in any way. Yeah, and there's, she said, if this happens, the Democrats will have blood on their hands for not joining the GOP and stopping it when they had a chance. This I'm is actually really excited. The I fight. Think, I think if there's a new hybrid of humans out there who want to be have animals, go for it. That's actually so cool. Imagine being like half Little Mermaid. And being able to go into the depths of the ocean. Well, that's then cool. Then you're actually a little a team. They could form a team to explore the waters in ways that we could never do. I'm, I'm seeing the positives on this. And also, there's a show on Netflix called Sweet Tooth mm-hmm. that looks at uh, this, but it's it's more apocalyptic. And it's kind of actually scary because it's, yeah. um, it's based off of a virus and we literally just got out of a... <laughs> Like we're in the middle of still like the pandemic of a virus. And so, yeah, check it out. It's interesting. But all of this is just a mess. Hashtag too soon. Yeah. Way too soon. I mean, it seems like, uh, you know, our movies and TV shows are starting to replicate our lives. They already are. Have you watched Grey's Anatomy? I know. Even though Grey's Anatomy did it really well. I actually really enjoyed that season. Well, let us know what you think about the chimeras, if I'm pronouncing that right. Human mutant things. Um, again, that's not what it is, but about all this uh, propaganda that Fox News is spewing against the Democrats. At LGT shows where you can find us on social media. Coming up, how one major brand is standing up to Arkansas's anti-trans legislators. That's next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up, what workplace harassment looks like while working remote and what to do about it, that is in 15 minutes. Plus, Demi Lovato opens up about their femininity. femininity. I almost couldn't pronounce that. That's in the T-Reports. It looked visibly like she was having a stroke. Femininity. I was, I was like, you know, she's climbing <laughs> age up there. Oy, oy, oy. Uh, so stick around for some tea in a moment. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. An accused Capitol rioter, Anthony Antonio, says he went to D.C. on January 6th because of Trump. Here he is on CNN. I've never really watched the news before all of this, right? So what got me to D.C. on January 6th is, so whether it be on social media, whether it be on mainstream media, 
all over. January 6th, the President of the United States called us to Washington, D.C., and I said, well, the President of the United States, who at the time he was still the President of the United States, calls all of us to D.C., let's go check it out. Let's go see why he's calling us to D.C. Let's say, okay, let's go, because he told us to, and from what my, my understanding before, it was going to be a super organized thing. Um my plans going there when I was first leading there was to... Here's the thing. I'm over the fact that they get to do press runs and get to explain their actions when they all went up there to have an insurrection. Why? I mean, this is a prime example of why people call out whiteness in this country because guess what? Whiteness gets you on CNN to explain your side of the story after literally putting people in harm's way. A person... A co- I don't know. Wasn't a couple people that died that day? Like, it's, it's something that is so just completely mind-boggling to me that this man even has an opportunity to go on CNN and talk about or blame Donald Trump for his actions as well. It's just, I don't know, I'm over it. Yeah, it's interesting, and then it's interesting that no one will really will be held accountable, whether it be these folks or even Trump. Uh, but let's move into some entertainment news. And by the way, coming up next on What's Trending This Hour, we will get into what Walmart is doing to stand up to Arkansas's anti-trans legislators that is in the next hour what's happening ryan perfect so let's talk all things demi lovato you know demi is come to terms with so much and i honestly i'm speaking with them to uh not tomorrow but next week and i'm uh, so excited to just have some great conversation Mm -hmm. but demi lovato is speaking out on the latest episode of their podcast 4d with demi lovato where they're worried, they were worried about what their career would look like if they weren't feminine in their career, um, which is very interesting to, to think about. It's time for the T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. Now, while chatting with trans box uh, boxer uh, Patricio Manuel on their 4D with Demi Lovato podcast, the singer-songwriter who recently came out as non-binary shared that they worried what living their truth would do to their career. Um, here's a little uh, bit of it before I play a clip. Uh, they said, I was so afraid at times of what my career would look like if I wasn't that super sexy, hyper-feminine pop star. My career doesn't matter as much to me now as it does living my truth. Mm. Here's a little bit more from the conversation. You found your home in boxing, but at the same time, it was something that was holding you back from your authenticity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a funny thing like that. It showed me who I was, but then I also was afraid to fully be that person. And for a lot of fighters, this isn't just my story. This is a super common story. This sport becomes your savior. It saves people. Boxing saved me. I wasn't doing anything. I saw no future in myself before I started boxing. And to suddenly realize that to make this choice to be myself and that was the only choice that was involved I mean, Demi is really kind of going there in their podcast, and I and I really appreciate it a ton. And so head over to WeAreChannelQ.com to check out more of that conversation. Of course, 4D with Demi Lovato is right here on the Odyssey app. So where you're listening to us, you can also listen to Demi. And that's your T-Report. I got more coming up next hour. Okay, well, you don't need to be in person to experience workplace harassment. How to deal with it while working remote. That's next.
Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for twenty-five dollars per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. Five dollars more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty-four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. Thirty-five dollars per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. You don't need to be in person to experience workplace harassment. And here to discuss this with us is Kalpana Kodagal, who's a partner at the national civil rights firm of Cohen, Milstein, Sellers & Toll. Thanks so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, you're also the co-author of The Inclusion Writer. Uh, so your focus is on discrimination, especially systemic discrimination in class action cases. So let's get into what virtual harassment actually is. Yeah, that's a great question. I think that the really um, you know, tricky thing about harassment is that it doesn't have to be limited to something like touching. A workspace that feels unsafe or threatening, um, whether that's virtual or in person, can be harassment. And because of how we've all worked for the last 15 months, those lines have blurred so much. And sometimes it can be hard to tell whether we're talking about our personal space or our professional space. And that's really important. I think the question for for folks in the workplace is, do you feel safe? Mm. Yeah, because I also think a lot of people connect harassment with, like, sexual things. Like, for me, when I saw this story, I automatically thought of, like, Jeffrey Tubin and the whole CNN situation that just went down where he was caught masturbating on camera. But there are other ways that harassment can happen and it not be just deemed sexual or, like, flirtatious or anything in that realm. Can you describe what that really looks like and, and, and just kind of detail more? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Look, workplace harassment, it can be sex harassment or gender-based harassment, but it doesn't have to be. It could be about race. It could be about gender identity or sexual orientation or disability status. And so anytime somebody singles you out and makes you feel unsafe or threatened because of a protected characteristic, like the ones I've just described, that can give rise to harassment. And I think sort of the one of the, the quintessential ones that really has made itself known over the last 15 months, um, in part because of all the kind of racist tropes around the origin of the coronavirus, has been harassment of Asian Americans and Asian American Pacific Islanders about the origins of the virus. And, um, and that kind of harassment is obviously not sex harassment. It's not sexual harassment. It is still harassment, though. So harassment can be based on a lot of different things. It doesn't just have to be sexual harassment. Yeah, and what advice do you have for people who might experience that or witness that happening? What are they supposed to do? Yeah, that's, I think, a really crucial question. And let me just start with folks who witness it, who aren't themselves on the receiving end of it. 
there's been a lot of talk um, in the last couple of years, particularly driven by the Me Too resurgence around the role of bystanders. And bystanders, somebody who witnesses um, hostile or harassing behavior, but isn't themselves the target of it, has a real power to be able to interrupt it, to speak up and stop that behavior. And so I would encourage folks who are in a safe enough space to be able to be a bystander and stop bad behavior to do so. If you don't have the benefit of that and you're on the receiving end of pretty significant behavior, the first thing to do is to document it. You know, that's, I think, tricky, given that we're all in this remote setting. But screenshots are important. Um, Keeping track of chats in Zoom that might contain harassing or hostile language and then reporting it. It's really important to make HR known. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And that's kind of the thing that I've been sitting here thinking about is about HR, because when we went into the pandemic, it was all new territory for everyone. So how should, you know, workplaces, corporations, HR specifically prepare to handle what, what, you know, virtual harassment looks like and what they're going to do about it? Because that um, people only feel safe if they have somewhere to go and there's actually a clear plan and strategy set in place. Absolutely. I mean, this is just an extension of what HR should be doing more generally, which is to create a safe space for employees to come forward and to have a clear articulation of what constitutes harassment, making sure that it's broad enough to include remote behavior and not limited to physical touching, right? A a definition of harassment in a workplace policy that's limited to physical touching is too narrow. So that's the first thing. The second thing is there has to be somebody in HR who can be on point to receive complaints, right? It can't be that a worker doesn't know who to go to or who to talk to. And and I recommend that that's not necessarily limited to somebody in HR, but that it should include include folks who have some authority in the organization to make things stop. Um, You know, a trusted trusted advisor, an ombuds person. There are plenty of organizations and companies, um, you know, that that have ombuds people that help to, to provide a safe space for that, um, for those kinds of complaints. And that's really vital, that there be someone, a specified process um, that a worker can go through if they are themselves experiencing harassment. Yeah. I just, yeah. I think real quick, I just think about the how in a lot of my jobs that I've had that are very corporate, the, the, the environment is that they don't trust HR. There's always that thing about not trusting HR. And so even if HR is there and there's a a strategy that they're supposed to do, a lot of people don't even feel comfortable bringing something like that up because they think HR is not in the benefit of them. That's a huge issue, and it's not limited, as you might imagine, to this virtual setting. The trust and confidence that workers have in the HR of their companies is a big deal, and it's really on HR and the leadership of that company to figure out a strategy for that, right? And and I really place the responsibility for that with the leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is it, it takes a culture change to make sure that workers can trust the folks that they you know are designated to report out to um, about behavior that they encounter that's problematic. And of course, there's always um, there are always government agencies like the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, and there are state agencies whose job it is to receive these complaints and make sure that workers are protected. Okay, well, thank you for being here for this and all that great info. We appreciate it. Oh, absolutely.
Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you all. That was Kalpana Kodagal, who is a partner of the National Civil Rights Firm, Cohen, Milstein, Sellers, and Toll, also the co-author of The Inclusion Rider. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Another viral TikTok moment that's causing a lot of controversy or a lot of different thoughts around how uh, they would have reacted to this happening to them. So this is what went down. A woman shared a TikTok video of her now husband checking his cell phone as she's walking down the aisle during their wedding ceremony. The video is dividing a lot of folks. It's gotten over 2.4 million views. And so a lot of people are saying, like, would you be okay with this? With, like with your partner looking at their phone while you're walking down the aisle. She was obviously doing this to troll him as a joke, but it's become quite the debate. Is this rude? I mean, she's walking she's walking down the aisle, he's on his phone. He looks at her and then he looks and he looks at the phone. Is he looking at his vows or something trying to remember them? Well, she did do a follow-up video. Do you want to know what he said, his response? Yeah. So afterwards, after this got so much popularity, she did another follow-up video saying, when you post a TikTok to troll your husband and the whole world trolls him for you. Ha ha ha. And now she she tells him in this video, like, oh, th- like people are not happy. Like, what were you doing? And she goes, crypto never sleeps. <gasps> He was checking his, like, cryptocurrency wallet. Unless he's, like, using that money to pay for the wedding or, like, pay Still, for Still, that's just, the, like, that's a deep, bad moment. The pay for the honeymoon or something. I don't know. That guy's the worst. But she chose him. So good luck with that, girl. That's the type of man you just said your vows to. I mean, I think it's, it's interesting when, you know, people laugh these moments off. Like, oh, you know. There ain't nothing cute about but it. But that's the thing. We do that to make ourselves survive these moments when I hope people like her know that they deserve better. Clearly but, she doesn't. She's, I mean, no shade, but it just feels like it's embarrassing, one, that she shared this and uh, it's all over the internet. And then two, um, she married the guy. Like, that's that's the embarrassing part for me. Like, you put this on the internet, but you still married him. So, like, you're, that's still your husband. People had comments of course some of the guys were saying vows are probably on his phone chill i thought i mean that's literally what i had just initially yeah. said but he didn't he wasn't checking his vows nicole said uh this guy this chick nicole he was checking a score you know that happens too you know guys get obsessed i'd say it's all guys on their be, wedding day though i mean yeah they have to be a diehard fan i guess uh this other person he said might my, have a gambling problem if he's like right checking. Like or just upset. It's like, yeah, you know, get your get your um, priorities in check. I don't know. I just wouldn't have finished the wedding if I would have seen that. Yeah, would you have just walked out? Peace. Yeah, I would have. Thank you very much. I would before have actually I went this. to the reception and got a plate, and I would have went home. <laughs> oh, you would have actually gone. Yeah, to if I would, the food is there. I would have. Yeah, I paid for it. The food is there. I'm gonna get a plate to go, and I'm going home. Well, let us know what you would have done at LGT Show. Is where you could find us on social media. Yeah, I would not have been down for this. That's why I I date a man who looks me in the eye all the time. I'm very aware when we're both looking at our phone, we have to set that precedent before a wedding, in a date even, any moment. Hashtag couple goes. Hashtag, hashtag. Okay, coming up, we've got what's trending this hour. Don't go anywhere. 
Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up on the show today, a father-son pride moment that will give you all the feels in 15 minutes. Plus, are you ready for a Netflix store? Their latest announcement later this hour. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. The family of Sam Walton, the heirs to the Walmart fortune, are donating $1 million to help LGBTQ organizations in the state of Arkansas just weeks after the state passed the worst anti-transgender law in the country. The Arkansas legislator passed a bill that bans doctors from providing gender-affirming care to transgender minors this past April over the governor's veto. And that's led people to worry about trans teen suicide in the state while other families prepare to leave in order to continue to access hormones and other essential health care. Now, the ACLU has filed a federal lawsuit against the state of Arkansas, alleging that this is clearly violating the constitutional rights of transgender individuals. So good on uh, the Walmart folks for doing this. Early Yaz Queen. Now, it's going to cost California $215 million to put on the recall election. Lawmakers said they would include the money in the budget they're passing this month and waive the 30-day period the law gives them to review election costs, and it could be moved up to as early as September. Is it really that worth it? $215 million? I could think of a lot of other things that money could go to. But anywho... And finally, on Thursday, Florida State Board of Education unanimously voted in favor of an amendment banning the teaching of critical race theory in schools throughout the state. And here is Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, And if you look at things that have grown out of of critical race theory, it's much more um, about trying to craft narratives about history that are not grounded in fact. So, for example, uh, this 1619 project uh, that, that came out a couple years ago, uh, the, the, the folks who created that said that the American Revolution was fought uh, primarily to preserve slavery. Now that is factually false. That is something that is something that you can look at the historical okay, record. Okay, okay. Want to know why uh, they revolted He's... against Britain? They told us. They wrote pamphlets. They did committees of correspondence. They did a Declaration of Independence. And so, uh, when you're trying to say that. Uh, that is not something that, that should be taught because there's no basis, in fact, for it. So- now, the move is the latest effort by Republican lawmakers and policymakers to prevent the teaching of the theory across the U.S. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so this is like actually a hilarious story. Um, it looks like some of... <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to pronounce it wrong just because, but it looks like some of Alicia Silverstone's fans have been a little clueless. It's time for the T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. So follow me here. Mm-hmm. Thursday, the actress shared a video on her TikTok profile in which she revealed that people have been saying her name wrong the entire time. Here is actually the TikTok vid. Tell me what your name is, and then tell me what people mispronounce it as. My name is Alicia. Alicia. Not Alicia. Not Alicia. Alicia. Did anyone know that? Well, now, that now her I know. name was Alicia. Alicia Silverstone. Alicia. It's Alicia. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people say Alicia. Everyone Alicia. in the comments, as soon as she revealed this, because um, it has so many views on it, um, they admitted that they've been calling her Alicia Silverstone. I've been calling her Alicia Silverstone. Well, Alicia Silverstone. Thank God she has TikTok now. I'm just saying, she's pretty great. Now we know. 
She's pretty gray. That's a cute little fun one as we wrap up here. Um, But I do have some news that I have not told you all show yet. I got to let you know about what we're doing during Pride Month. Ralph, Ralph's and Food for Less are partnering with us and the Los Angeles LA, uh, LGBT Center to help fill the fridge for homeless LGBT youth and seniors in need. Text FRIDGE to 20357 to donate to the Los Angeles LGBT Pride Pantry. Donations will be doubled by Ralph's and Food for Less. Thousands of elderly uh, LGBT seniors don't have enough food to eat each month. So make a difference with just a $25 donation to the Los Angeles LGBT Center Pride Pantry providing an entire week's worth of groceries. I literally just donated this morning. So everyone, if you got some time, donate, donate, donate. Um, 20357. All you got to do is text Fridge and Ralph's and Food for Less will be doubling it. It's great. Love it. Now he's our favorite gay columnist. Advice columnist specifically. Ola Poppy is joining us to share more details about his new book next. If your day sounds like we need the report ASAP, you deserve Medella. If you've persevered through, you deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame, two more rips, two more. You deserve this ice-cold reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. It's one thing falling in love with a house, and quite another navigating the world of negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. Guidance from an agent who's a Realtor can make all the difference, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. He's an LGBTQ advice columnist and writer and now has a memoir out called Ola Papi, How to Come Out in a Walmart Parking Lot and Other Life Lessons. Please welcome John Paul Brammer, a.k.a. JP, onto the show. Welcome to Let's Go There. Howdy. How's it going? Good. You know, I got my yeah. dog from a Walmart parking lot. <laughs> just a little tidbit information for me i mean i am a fan of yours i i loved reading your column we've even featured your column here we've tried to get mm-hmm. you on the show we're just huge fans of the work that you've been doing how does one become an advice columnist like yourself like you're just so good at it well according to my book completely by accident mm-hmm. uh, it was just sort of something i did when i was a broke freelancer living in brooklyn and I thought, okay, I need to come up with a column idea. I want to write something once a week, but I don't trust myself enough to come up with a new topic. And then I thought, oh, when you're writing an advice column, the topics come to you. So that's sort of how I started it. It was sort of a joke on the structure of an advice column that I ended up taking a lot more earnestly once the questions actually started coming in. Yeah, and do you feel a sense of responsibility at this point now that it's become something bigger? Oh, absolutely. I mean, anyone who writes me a letter, that's sort of my child. I have to help them as best as I can. And I think, you know, the whole book is sort of about me wrestling with that responsibility. And um, spoiler alert, begins and ends with me choosing not to answer a letter where I thought that I could do more harm than good. Mm -hmm. So I certainly feel a high degree of responsibility to anyone who writes into me or even anyone who reads me. Yeah, and there has to be kind of like this self-awareness of yourself to be able to kind of help other people who are writing into uh, to get your advice. Talk a, a little bit about your journey, and I know you're gonna your memoir really kind of details that growing up queer and and just trying to figure out who you are as a person. 
Growing up in rural Oklahoma, I really felt a deep need to connect with people who were more like me. Um, but it was hard to find those people because I was sort of isolated. Uh, I wasn't in a big city. I didn't have too many resources growing up. And I think a lot of my career, the advice column included, has sort of been about me trying to make those connections with other people and trying to get my voice out there and seeing who shows up and who's, uh, who I can impact with my words and vice versa. So it really does feel like quite a community effort here, uh, especially given the column's original appearance through Grinders Outlet, which is, you know, a gay hookup app. <laughs> so it was kind of pushed through the app at the very beginning, and it reached uh, LGBT people all over the world. So I was getting letters from people in India, people in England, people in Mexico. It was just truly international. And it, it's kind of funny how it works that way. You start out with nothing, and then next thing you know, you're talking to a really big chunk of the world. Yeah. And, and why do you think what you do resonates with so many people because you're obviously giving a voice to folks who uh, have not felt seen or heard possibly. Yeah. One thing I've been really shocked to find out is that there are a lot of people who don't identify as LGBTQ who read my stuff and it, it always surprises me. And the way they tell me about it is so cute. They always start out with saying like, well, I'm not gay, but I really love this or this really resonates with me. And I think it just really speaks to the fact that even though I'm writing about LGBTQ issues, the heart of the matter is pretty universal. Uh, we're still talking about love. We're talking about loneliness. We're talking about overcoming our inner demons. And that's something that anyone can relate to. So I think as long as you're speaking authentically and truthfully, you're going to find your audience because at the end of the day, the human experience, it, it's different across the board, yes, but there are also ways that we overlap. Yeah. Real quick, you know, you were a part of a list, 42 LGBTQ uh, plus books that will change the literary landscape this spring mm -hmm. on Oprah's website. Hello. How does that feel? I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, I mean, of course, when that was sent to me, I was like, Oprah? <laughs> yes. I, I, had, I had the reaction that, you know, any young gay boy would have when told something like that. Because uh, obviously you grew up watching Oprah, icon, legend. Um, so I... I <laughs> I try not to think too much about stuff like that because I know I'll jinx it if I think about it too much. I, I always think, like, what if she takes me off the list as if she's, like, personally putting these, like, listicles together. So I just try not to, like, contemplate it too much. Yeah, that. definitely. That can create a lot of pressure for yourself, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. And, and what does your family think about all of this, by the way? Oh, yeah. I mean, my family has always been my biggest supporters. Um, and I was really lucky in a way. So even though I grew up in this really rural landscape in Oklahoma, where I'm sure most people think of, you know, a lot of conservatism, a lot of um, extreme uh, religiosity, but I have an open-minded household. My family is so supporting of me, and they've read the book already, and I was terrified of that, <laughs> honestly. I mean, I'm terrified for most people to read my book, but when your family does it, when you're talking about, you know, some life experiences that I have in the book that are so intimate and so delicate, I didn't know what the reaction would be, but they really loved it. And that really put my mind at ease. And after that was done, I was like, okay, I feel good about talking about this book to whoever I need to talk to now, now that my family hasn't <laughs> freaked out over it. That's wow. awesome. And just finally, as we wrap things up, uh, what message do you want people to take away from this book and from your story? Yeah, I thought about that a lot just because, you know, when you're writing a book, obviously you have some idea of what you hope to impart on someone else when they read it. And the longer um, I've gone on since writing it and the closer I get to it being published, the more confused I am and thinking, wow, what do I want people to think anymore? I'm not even sure. So I just really hope that 
when they read my books, no matter who they are or where they come from, they feel a little more understood and they feel like there's someone else out there who understands what they're going through. Love it. Well, Ola Papi, How to Come Out in a Walmart, Parking Lot, and Other Life Lessons by John Paul Brammer is out now. JP, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Now coming up by this story about a father supporting his son during Pride is inspiring us all. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, radio personality Dammit Maury, a fellow Canadian, is out and proud on air. It hasn't been as easy when it comes to sharing his authentic self with his family, specifically his dad. He recently shared his own very vulnerable story in The Advocate and is joining us right now. Maury Sherman, happy Pride. Welcome to Let's Go There. Happy Pride! Yes! And let's and let's go there. Exactly. And <laughs> oh, we were giving, wow, you're so good at this. We were giving him instructions as to what we were doing, but then we forgot. Like, you know the radio, <laughs> right? This is what you do. We love that. <laughs> but uh, we loved this story. You had a very pivotal moment with your dad that recently happened. So tell us more about that and why it was important for you to share. I First of all, I didn't think it would become as special to so many people around the world as it did. It was awesome for me, and I wanted to share it, and then it just blew up. I mean, you know, when you look at, I guess, any parent of um, somebody who comes out, you always hope for the best. And usually there's some speed bumps along the way, and my dad not be, you know, at the very beginning not being supportive just because he didn't understand, had a ton of questions, and, was, you know, wasn't sure what it meant and what it would mean for him. And then over the years, he became, you know, slowly more and more supportive when I got married to my husband, Matthew, he's the best. Like, he treats Matthew like his own kid. And when I come over alone, he's more upset that Matthew's not there than I am there. You know, he loves Matthew. And so I, I don't know if it was because of the pandemic and how we're not seeing each other. There In Canada, there's the lockdowns, and you're not allowed to see somebody who lives in another house. And so he invited me over, and he said, why don't you come over? And let's raise the pride flag together. And I thought that was so special. I think it has a lot to do with in the area that he lives in Burlington, Ontario, which is like a suburb of in, in Ontario in Canada. Pride flags are being stolen from people's front porches in front of their houses. And I think this to him was a way of saying, hey, come over. Let's raise the pride flag in our backyard. It, you know, waves tall over the highway. Nobody can steal this. And, and I, I want everyone to know how proud I am of you. And it was just so special because it was our first time and I never expected it. Yeah, you know, a lot of times queer folks can have, you know, very tra- traumatic relationships with their, their parents. And oftentimes they don't want to, they lose hope in thinking that something like this could ever happen. So for you, through the, the journey of y'all's relationship, how did you kind of keep hope that maybe one day y'all would get to this place that where you are, where he's just so loving and accepting and just loves you for who you are. It's the small steps. It's the little things, whether, you know, it's um, him being so proud when I proposed to Matthew or having, you know, us there for Christmas or, you know, how cute it was the one time we're watching a movie in front of the TV and my dad, Frank, falls asleep with his head on Matthew's shoulder, like the, mm-hmm. the little things, or where you overhear him telling somebody about us, you know, somebody he works with, and he works with a bunch of, like, men, you know what I mean, in, like, a mm-hmm. factory, right? So, like, those kind of things is super, super cool. Or when he comes over here and he's, you know, interested in seeing pictures of, uh, of our wedding, you know, it's just the little things. So you know that with these small steps, 
maybe something big and awesome is going to happen, like the raising of the flag, because if we're taking all these small steps, there can only be something big eventually going to happen, right? Yeah, I'm surprised here that in Canada, this horrible stuff is happening with flags. Why are you shocked you know, about it, Canada? I don't know. I just assume I, you, I would Did you take a history class of Canada? I was shocked, too. I mean, wow. it's, it's a, in a, a small town in Ontario, Burlington. Why are people stealing pride flags? And, and it's Pride Month right now, and at the nude beach, which is, you know, usually uh, dominated by the gay community. There was just the other day, there was somebody who um, unfortunately said a homophobic slur and and beat up somebody. And this is during Pride Month. I mean, I truly am shocked that these things are happening. I I am. And I know that you're like, well, why would you be? I really am shocked. I thought that we were better than that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I want to leave this on a a positive (laughs) Well, I was about to, if you were going to let me speak. Yes. Um, I just wanted to say, actually, it's your birthday, right? Thank you. Happy birthday! <laughs> you know, little but birdie told me it was your ages. birthday. No, of it, no. course not. I just wanted to say happy birthday because I think this is such a beautiful way to want to have your birthday during Pride Month and then just have this moment that is forever going to live in your heart and in your mind and on the internet because everything on the internet stays. Um, but I, I think this yes, is... Yes, I've learned be- that the hard way once, but yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is just a beautiful, beautiful thing and I thank you so much for sharing it. I will say this. Yes, I I celebrate my birthday during Pride Month, but I also share a birthday with Judy Garland. It was at that moment my dad said, Now that's iconic. (laughs) Somewhere over the rainbow. (laughs) Now that is iconic. Love it. And hopefully this inspires other, you know, parents and other folks that this is possible for them and that that's this is why how I shared should this. step it up. Yeah. I have to interrupt. That's why I shared this. I thought if I shared this beautiful photo, maybe it'll give other people in, you know, maybe who don't have that relationship some hope. I thought that was, you know, part of why I wanted to share it. Love it. Well, that was damn it, Maury. Thank you again mm-hmm. for being mm-hmm. here with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've done some deep diving, and I've, I've become big fans of you guys. Oh, oh sorry. Thank you. We'll receive. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Maury is a senior producer from the Roz and Mocha Show on Toronto's Kiss 92.5. I hope I Woo. pronounced that right. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. So, you know, we're looking at how every country is celebrating pride and doing something unique. And Ireland is doing something interesting. The Irish Postal Service is wishing citizens a happy brood. I I think that's the pride. That means pride in Irish. By issuing a stamp specifically for Pride Month, the Republic of Ireland's design is available in both international and national version, ver, uh, virgins. Versions. <laughs> Hello. Versions. Proceeds from the stamp will benefit two Irish LGBTQ organizations. I love this. But you know what? The U.S. has still yet to do this. It has honored a handful of gay, lesbian, bisexual Americans, including poet Walt Whitman, artist Ellsworth Kelly, astronaut Sally Ride, Harvey Milk, and author James Baldwin, but hasn't issued a pride stamp. What's going on, America? Wow. Come on. It's true. We're a little behind. So uh, this is definitely something to be inspired by. And maybe if you collect stamps, you might want to check out this Irish stamp and, you know, add it to your collection for pride.
So that gets our yes queen of the day. Yes queen. But you want to give a shout out to uh, Vincent in the new album as another yes queen for people to check out? Oh, no, for sure. I mean, Vincent, There Will Be Tears um, is such an incredible album. I'm so proud of him. It, it, you probably know Vincent from The Four. It was a show with Diddy, Kesha. Um, not Kesha. Oh, my God. Megan Trainer. I always get them confused. Whatever. They're the same person, if you think about it. Um, but Vincent is just really great. It's his debut album. It already has over a million streams. Uh, and it's just, it's so wonderful. It's really telling, you know, so much about his experience. And I think everyone should support because queer art deserves to be supported. A great album to check out this weekend and listen to. And we are back Monday, of course, weekdays live here on Channel Q, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern. We've got an amazing week of shows and guests. And one of the guests stopping by the show is Kim Petras. Just saying, we've been waiting for her to come on. And finally, it is happening. Mm -hmm. So definitely, you know, add the time of our live show into your calendar so you remember to stream it live, whether it be on the Odyssey app or listen to it on the dial. And if you miss any of our shows or interviews, we post everything as a podcast. Again, go to the Odyssey app, search Let's Go There, and subscribe to join our podcast family. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Now stick around for What's Poppin' with DJ Alex D right here on Channel Q. Bye, y'all. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.